The following message was recorded at Bethlehem Baptist Church in Minneapolis, Minnesota. More information can be found online at Bethlehem.Church. Well, Happy New Year. As I pull this microphone out, I want to welcome you to the first sermon of 2022. Maybe you're like me. Sometimes you mix your years up. I almost said the wrong year. Here we are in 2022. We are starting a series that's going to run through the month of January and then come back later in the year and maybe for the next several years. The series is called Selected Psalms. And if you're familiar with the great songbook of Israel, there's 150 of them. So we may be coming back for quite a while. But throughout January, uh, Andy Nacelli and I get to begin this series uh, with Psalm 1 and 2, which introduces the whole Psalter. And then we'll do selected psalms throughout uh, different seasons. In between, sometimes the books that we're preaching through will have some psalms. So that's where we're headed today. I don't know about you. Do you love the psalms? My love for the psalms grew in 2021. In some hard seasons, the Lord met me in that book, built up my faith, maybe helped me express some of my feelings. Uh, To him, it was a blessing, and I hope that your love for the Psalms grows as we look at several selected ones. Let me pray with you as we begin. Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for the privilege of being in it, of studying it, of having it be a two-edged sword that can divide soul and spirit. For those that are watching online, And those that are here in this place, would you please give us grace to have you do surgery on our hearts in the way that we look and interact with your word. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let me begin with a question. What have you examined closely in recent days? Maybe your car wasn't working well. You looked under the hood and tried to figure out what's going on. Maybe you gathered with family and you played a game. And you examine the rules, looking at the rules for the first time to try to understand how to play it. Or perhaps somebody you were playing with, your opponent, was very sneaky. And they came up with a new way to win. And it was like, I'm going to go back to the rules and figure out if that's accurate or not. Maybe you're like me. I had something break in my house. And I examined my files to try to find the paperwork to see, is this covered? Or do I need to pay for the repair? What have you examined closely lately? Maybe it's open enrollment. You're looking at different healthcare options. What have you examined closely? This psalm, Psalm 1, is a wisdom psalm. And by definition, wisdom psalms cut to the chase. They put two options in front of us. The way of the wicked and the way of righteousness. They take us out of all the craziness of life and the different things that we are distracted by and said and 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 say to us, look carefully at this. What God wants to invite us to do today is to examine how are we responding to his instruction. Now you just sang this psalm and you just heard this psalm, you may wonder, well, where is his instruction? Keep your Bibles open. I'm going to go there again and again and again. That's going to be our outline. Keep your Bibles open. 
I just want to point out in verse 2, the law of the Lord, it's not just the first books of Moses, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, and so on, up to Deuteronomy. The law of the Lord is a wide scope, all of Scripture, and I think your footnote in your Bible may or may not say it. Uh, we all have different ESV versions. I learned that the last time I preached. Um, but it may or may not say it could also mean the instruction of the Lord. How are you responding to the instruction of the Lord? There's going to be two different things. And if you're a child um, and you want to take notes, you could draw pictures. We're going to, our outline is going to be very simple. Go right through this text. There are three sets of pairs, and each one contrasts two different pictures. So you can either do it in your mind, think about it. That's, the Psalms want to draw us in and use imagery. But you might, as a kid, want to jot down a couple different pictures. What is being compared here? How am I responding to God's instruction? The aim of this message is to examine our response to God's instruction and then take action accordingly. Take action accordingly. So first, in verses 1 and 2, that pair, we will zoom in to see the heart response to God's word and to his instruction. Then verses 3 and 4, we'll zoom out and look at the entirety of a life built on God's instruction And then we'll fast forward to the very end in verses 5 and 6 and look at the end of a life, the judgment. What happens at the end of a life that's built on God's instruction or not? That's our outline. Let's dive in to verses 1 and 2. Quickly look at the structure with me. Line 1 is the thesis. Blessed is the man. We'll come back to that in just a second. Then there are three things this blessed person does not do. Not, nor, nor. And then in verse 2, it says, what does this blessed one do? All right, that's the structure. Let's try to understand the thesis. There's a couple things that we might get tripped up on. Blessed is the man. This is wisdom literature, and it plays by various rules. And so we need to understand the rules to rightly apply it to our lives. And you need to know... I would guess 50% or more of this church gathered are women. And some of you are not men or women, you're children. This man in wisdom literature is meant to encompass all of humanity. That's why I titled the sermon, The Blessed One. If you look ahead uh, very far in the Psalms to Psalm 119 verse 1, which really goes A to Z, 176 verses on what this person that delights in God's law does. It begins, blessed are those. It doesn't have to play by wisdom rules because it's not a wisdom psalm. Blessed are those whose way is blameless. So this is talking to every man, woman, and child that exists. Blessed is the one. Blessed are those. Then The other thing that we need to understand is what does blessed mean? Blessed is not driving a Bentley or living in a castle or having your life always go well. The blessed life in the scriptures is this deep-seated joy mingled with challenge, this enduring life of blessing and blessed for eternity. In fact, uh, we just were going through Isaiah as a church. I was reading along with that. And reading through Isaiah, Isaiah 30, 18 says, Blessed are all who wait 
for him. That is in the context of judgment. Blessed are the people who hold on to their hope with supernatural grace from God to do that, even in the midst of his discipline. So the blessed life is very, very good. It endures to the end. It is supernaturally given, faith-filled happiness in God, even when it is mixed with grieving and being overwhelmed. Okay? This is not healthy, wealthy, and wise, and all that kind of stuff. This is a deep-seated, rooted blessing from God. Joy mixed sometimes with challenges. So that's what we're aiming for. You know, we're wired that way. We want the blessed life. So let's look at what we shouldn't do towards that and what we will. And this is where you can compare the two pictures. Blessed is the man or the one who walks not in the counsel of the wicked. This is something they do not do. They do not walk in the counsel of the wicked. What that means is they don't go to the wicked person. They don't go online. They don't hear words from, of wickedness. They don't watch movies and then live them out that are based on wickedness. They do not base their lives on the counsel of, of the wicked. Notice who is the God? Who is the authority in this? In part, it's the wicked but in part, it's the person. They're basing their lives on the counsel of the wicked. The blessed person doesn't do that. Nor does it stand in the way of sinners. Now, sometimes the imagery of the Psalms can be tricky. This is not somebody who is using the counsel of the wicked, and then all of a sudden they stop and stand, and they're like, I wonder if I'm doing the right thing. No, what the psalmist means by stand is established. It means that this is their chosen path. Either they're portraying it publicly, like they've got the t-shirt, loving the way of the wicked, or it's quiet. Maybe they play by the rules when the people and the peer pressure around them is seen, but they know in their hearts, I love the way of the wicked. I love the way of sinners. This is meant to help us examine this. Is this true of you? You need to understand that this psalm is so deep. God's word is so deep. We can keep reading it for years. I, I so love my grandparents. Uh, my grandma was about 87 when she passed away. My grandfather, 99. And they read their Bibles all the time. Every day. Marked them up and found new things. This book is alive. And it is deep. If you were to look at these two adjectives, wicked and sinners, they occur in two historical accounts. And I think we see throughout this psalm that the psalmist wants to keep us going back to the history of Israel and realizing this is not just a picture thing. It's God's word, and it's also proven itself in history because our God is the God who does not lie. So if you were to look up both of these terms, wicked and sinners, they both occur both in Sodom and Gomorrah, and in Korah. Who are those people? Well, Sodom and Gomorrah was a perverse, abusive, God-scorning group of cities that very much were living against the Lord. You can read about them in Genesis 13 a little bit and mostly in Genesis 19. Korah was a religious leader. He was a Levite. 
He was envious of power. And he said to Moses and Aaron, you've gone too far. God has given us the ability to do this thing too. And and we think we should lead this people of Israel. Now remember, Moses and Aaron were God's appointed leaders. So that was a wicked thing to do. And we'll talk a little bit more about both of those stories in a little bit. But we need to understand a couple things. Number one, oftentimes our culture thinks that being bad is not that bad. And I think the psalmist wants to say, don't go there. Don't go to the counsel of the wicked or stand in the way of sinners. That is not a good place to go. But on the flip side, our culture also says, well, look at this movie. There's like a couple really bad people like Sodom and Gomorrah and Korah. And all the rest of us are just doing pretty good because we're good people. That's not biblically true either. There is none righteous, no, not one. So we need to avoid both of those ditches. We don't want to move in those directions. And finally, we do not want to sit in the seat of scoffers. We have to do a little biblical research on this term scoffers as well. It only occurs a couple times, once here in the psalm, once in Isaiah, and mostly in Proverbs. And Proverbs 21-24 says the scoffer is an arrogant, haughty man who acts in arrogant pride. When your super small description or what goes on the bottom of your business card says arrogant twice, you know you're in trouble. An arrogant, haughty man who acts in arrogant pride. Yikes. That's the scoffer, the one who's sitting in judgment on God's word and God's people. This person does not sit there. That probably means join the assembly of or would not be recognized as a scoffer. Are you a scoffer? Are you looking across or thinking of some holier-than-thou person that you think is no longer good or you're wondering in your heart, is God really that good? Is His Word really that good? The blessed person doesn't go there. The blessed person doesn't go there. We need to understand who is on this path. The majority of humanity is on this path. Titus, in a description that I often use of myself in my testimony, before the Lord redeemed me in grace, Titus says that unbelievers are blind, deceived, enslaved, and ensnared by all sorts of passions and pleasures. The majority of humanity is on this path. So my question is, as you examine these things, do you see any of these realities in you that, if you're a believer, will cause you to turn back? Or have you been redeemed from this path? Because if you haven't, this is the path you're on. Verse 2, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. Look at where that goes. It goes to the heart. It turns from scoffing to delighting. Oh, man, this is a good book. Now, this is not perfect delighting. This is not forever delighting. But has your heart responded, thank you, Jesus, for that truth? Or I needed that. Or God, please, please. Meet me, help me, draw me to this truth. Does your heart delight in the law of the Lord? That's what the blessed person does. And on his law, he meditates day and night. Throughout their life, they're thinking, this is my grid. I'm looking at the world through God's word. 
I'm evaluating things. I'm defeating temptation just like Jesus did with God's word. I'm going there day and night to read it, understand it, study it, dig into it. My life is surrounded by God's word. Is that the case for you? You need to know there's a historical reality underneath this as well. Joshua 1.8. God said to Joshua, Be very careful to follow closely all that I have commanded to you. And in that, he gives him a way to do that, to be careful, by meditating on his law day and night. It's almost identical verbiage. The psalmist most certainly had Joshua in his mind. And if you think about Joshua's life and the history of Joshua's story, when he followed God's word, for example, Jericho, amazing things happened. He prospered, which we're going to see in just a little bit. It comes back in verse 4. He prospered. In verse 3, I'm sorry. He prospered. But when others in Israel, like Achan, did not, they did not prosper. When he thought to go towards the Gibeonites, who were deceptive, he did not prosper. But when he followed God's word and meditated on day and night and was careful to do all that was written in it, good things took place. They weren't always easy. Battle was hard. But he meditated on God's law day and night. I I think it's also helpful for us to think about Joshua because some of us are like, well, I go to Bethlehem and some of you guys are like seminarians and you just love studying. I'm just sort of a person of action. Joshua was a person of action. You know, I I don't know. Uh, He certainly wrote and who knows? Who knows what kind of books he carried around with him in his tent? But He was a man of action. This is for every person, regardless of our personality, meditating on God's law day and night. Two pictures follow after as we zoom out in verses 3 and 4 to see the entirety of the life. It continues with this one who's delighting in God's law and says, He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season and its leaf does not wither. I picture a cedar because that's my favorite tree. I'm sure you needed to know that. Uh, But also because cedars show up in scripture, um, there's actually a reference to a cedar planted by streams of of water. This is not some flimsy little uh, tree planted in my neighbor's yard that's been there for a couple of years, kind of looking scraggly, not sure if it's going to make it. It's a tree, but no, this is a big, massive, rooted tree. How do we know that? It's mature enough to to give fruit. It's planted by streams. Notice that that's plural, streams of water. Whether those were irrigated and brought to the tree or whether it was planted next to two rivers, we're not sure. It yields its fruit in season and its leaf does not wither. This is a beautiful picture. We saw in Isaiah uh, just a few weeks ago, oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord. That's what this is. Do you want to be like that? I think this, these two verses could be summarized. Be an oak of righteousness, not chaff. That's where it goes next. But first, let me say, in all that he does, he prospers. This is again an explicit reference to Joshua 1.8. And again, we need to make sure that we understand this. The will of God, the plan of God prospers in their life. They might go through all sorts of hardship and that might be the dark backdrop upon which the beauty of God's glory shines in their life. 
Again, this is not just everything going well for you. This is the will of God prospering in your life. Is that your desire? The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Do not be chaff. You do not want to get to the end of your life and be like a Snickers wrapper that has been uh, sun beaten and faded and it's just like blowing around in the wind. That's what chaff is. Chaff is the outer shell that protects the nutrient grain. You do not want to eat it. It has no nutritional value. It has no roots. In fact, when you take grain and, and you remove the chaff from the grain and you throw it up in the air, the chaff is so light it blows away. You would not want to go home and have Sunday lunch of chaff. Maybe some fruit from a good tree. But you do not want to be chaff. If you're thinking about this in your mind, you can meditate on this later. There's so many differences between a tree and chaff. Chaff is dry. A tree is by streams of water. A tree is rooted. A chaff is not. So many different pictures. Don't be chaff. There's one thing that we need to understand because... I think some of you are like, well, if I examine life, it does seem that there are some wicked people that don't look like chaff. We need to remember this is a zooming out on all of their life. Back to our analogy of um, Sodom and Gomorrah, the the one that I really believe is tied in here. You need to read and understand um, Genesis 13 verse 10. And Lot lifted up his eyes and saw the Jordan Valley. This is where Sodom and Gomorrah was. It was well watered everywhere like the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt in the direction of Zoar. This was before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. I don't think you could come up with a better description in the Bible to say that this place is so lush, it's like the garden of Eden. Whoa. That's like Hawaii times a hundred. But that is only a day in the life, a season in the life of this land. Later, they were destroyed by the Lord. So we need to not think about, well, it's going well for me now in the way of sinners or in the way of the wicked. You need to understand that God, in his authoritative word, zooms out and looks at all of life and says, that path is chaff. Do you believe him? Do you believe him? Even if it's going well for you right now, rejecting the Lord, do you believe him? Believe him. Believe him. Verses 5 and 6, fast forward to the end of these lives. Let's look at that. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. What we see here in verse 5 is two final statements that therefore helps us see that this is the conclusion of the matter. This is fast-forwarding to the end. And then verse 6 gives us the reasons for that. So let's look at those two separately. 
Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. This standing in the judgment probably means standing through the judgment. There's been some really awful tornadoes and storms that have ripped through several different places in the United States in the last month or so. What this means is, there, if you think back to that image, there are some buildings that remain standing, others that are just decimated. And what it's saying is, the wicked will not stand in the judgment. We need to understand and be reminded that we will all appear before the judgment seat of Christ to receive our just reward for what we've done in the body. The wicked, in the end, will not stand in the judgment. Nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. That means the sinners will not be included in the congregation of the righteous. They will not have a place among the congregation of the righteous. But wait, John, a little bit ago you said that we are all wicked. How does that work? Will we stand in the judgment? Today is a season of mercy before we reach the judgment. We need to understand that Jesus Christ, the perfect blessed one that we'll see in just a moment, the perfect blessed one, lived this out perfectly, delighted in the law perfectly. He, all he did prospered perfectly. And yet, in the place of wicked people like you and I, he stood in God's judgment. In fact, the tornado ripped right over him. And he died. And yet was risen again. He faced the full fury of God's wrath for you and I, for all who will trust in him. Well, how does a person who delights in the law of the Lord and on his law meditate day and night get to that place of connection with Jesus? Well, we trust and believe his word. In Mark 1.15, Jesus said, Repent and believe the good news. Keep repenting. Come to me as God and say, I am not righteous. Come to the Lord and repent and trust that Jesus can be sacrificed in your place. He can be your righteousness. You can be united to him. That is how there is a congregation of the righteous. The righteous ones that have been drawn in to the righteous one, Jesus Christ, united to him. The sinners will not be united to him. So today I say, be united to him. They will pass through the judgment. There'll be rewards and whatnot at the end times. But if Jesus Christ is your righteousness, you will stand in the day of judgment. Why? Verse 6. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. This is perhaps one of the biggest blessings for the righteous life. The Lord knows the ways of the righteous. This does not mean, well, 
your name is somewhere on the spreadsheet of heaven. You kind of have to do that control F thing and type in Jim Johnson. Oh yeah, yeah, we, we know you. We know you here. You're on the reservation list. It's not, that's not what that means. What this means is the Lord intimately knows you. You, if, 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 if he has given you a heart to trust in him, the Lord knows you. He is your shepherd. The scriptures are full of different words about this. Listen to some of them. The Lord is good, a stronghold in the day of trouble. He knows those who take refuge in him. He knows them. The Lord, I am the good shepherd, Jesus says. I know my own. Not their names, not their favorite colors. I know everything about them. I know them perfectly. The Lord is acquainted with all of the righteous one's ways. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. Do you realize in your heart is a hunger to be known that way? It was put there by God. The gospel gives you that benefit. Run to Christ. Be known. For the Lord knows the ways of the righteous, but the ways of the wicked will perish. God does not have that intimate knowledge. He has great knowledge, but not this type of shepherding, caring knowledge for the wicked. Their way will perish. Now, we need to also put this in biblical context. This is a description of very bad calamity, but it doesn't mean that it's over in an instant. In fact, sadly, Judgment is eternal, conscious torment. Jesus talked about hell and it said, he said, where the worm never dies. We need to live life in light of this judgment. We need to allow it to stir up compassion for those around us that are not trusting in Christ. This is a real reality. So what I said at the beginning was our aim today is to examine our response to God's instructions and take action accordingly. So let your eyes look back over this psalm and let me ask you a few questions. Where do you see yourself? Where do you see yourself? Let me give you four categories. There might be others, um, but let me just give you four categories that might help you. A couple of them are from the book of Hebrews, which might give us a little bit more understanding of where, uh, where we fit between these two very stark categories. Number one is, is there an imperfect delight in God's word? Do you have that? We're not supposed to be perfect in anything. Jesus is the perfect one. By God's grace, we are progressing towards delighting more and more and more in his law. Do you see that in your life? Are there evidences? Could you point to things? I would encourage you, add it into your Bible reading perhaps, but Psalm 119, like I said earlier, just sort of riffs on this delighting in God's law. And I'd encourage you to read through it. And maybe section by section, um, or chunk by chunk this next week and ask God to help you delight more in his law as you begin this year. 
one thing that you realize is this is not just like the super elite people. This is the humble people who keep seeking this grace from God. Are you one that wants to seek this grace from God? That is a good thing. Keep leaning into it. Category number two. Is your passion trending downward? Is your passion trending downward? In the book of Hebrews, he writes to an audience that has become, quote, sluggish and, quote, dull of hearing. Is your passion for God's word trending downwards? That was from Hebrews 5.11 and 6.12. Meditating on God's law day and night is a battle, and we need great grace from the Lord to wage it. Do you see this slipping? Confess your sins to one another and pray for each other that you may be healed. I can still remember the youth retreat. We got away with some of our leaders, and we were doing a little time of prayer, and the Lord was impressing upon me, you need to share with some brothers and sisters that your, as a leader, your love for God's word is waning. It was so sweet to share that with them, to have them pray for me, and to see new and fresh waves of grace come to me. Number three, are you being hardened by the deceitfulness of sin? That's another category that we get from Hebrews 3.13. So let me just ask, is the way of sinners becoming more attractive to you? Are you spending a little bit more time on the internet or social media considering that? Does the scene or topic in a movie that you used to be like, oh, let's shut this off, is sort of like, oh, that's no big deal. Are you growing in suspicion about God's goodness and the goodness of God's ways? Be warned, there are only two paths. Don't go there. Turn around. Confess it to the Lord now. Finally, Are you a scoffer firmly planted in the way of sinners? Are you a scoffer firmly planted in the way of sinners? Is that your way? Is that what best describes you? Whether it's known by those in this room or not, does that describe you? There may be temporary happiness in that area and circumstances. There's no nutrition, no lasting fruit. That way is chaff. Don't go there. Rather, listen to these beautiful words of Scripture. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his ways and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord that he may have compassion on him. And to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. That is God's heart. That is God's heart. He wants to abundantly pardon. Take him up on it. Take him up on it. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, it is so good to be in your word, to have it do what you want it to do and hold out before us these two ways, these two realities. Thank you for faith in Jesus Christ, which makes it possible for us to leave the way of the wicked and move into your counsel. God, would you please give us grace as we think this over, as we meditate on this? Would you give us the courage to trust you, to trust others, 
to humble ourselves before you. Please be merciful to us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Bethlehem Baptist Church in Minneapolis, Minnesota. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for these copies or alter their content in any way without written permission from Bethlehem Baptist Church. For more information, we invite you to visit us online at Bethlehem.Church or write us at 720 13th Avenue South, Minneapolis, Minnesota, 55415. Bethlehem Baptist Church, spreading a passion for the supremacy of God in all things, for the joy of all peoples, through Jesus Christ.